everybody and welcome to the Going Up Cast with the Feel Good Podcast with follow-up information on the new Spider-Man movie, my hype for the new Lion King movie, I get a new phone, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Andrew Logan, and let's dive right into it. So this week we cover a lot of fun stuff. I talk about the Lion King soundtrack very much in depth. I cover a little bit more about my Evangelion adventures. We talk about those post-credit scenes in Spider-Man. I hope you watched it because that's right next. So, spoiler warning right now. We're getting into it. And a bunch of other stuff. But if you like the Going Upcast and want to hear more fantastic stuff with my dulcet tones, you can go to patreon.com forward slash goingupcast where you can become a $5 Patreon supporter and get access to the monthly live stream. Or you can go up to goingcast.com forward slash store, where you can partake in a mystery book. I just recorded a bunch more. And you can order a personalized book reading of your choice. Prices follow the structure found at goingcast.com. But enough dillying and dallying. Let's get right into the podcast. Last week, we talked about Spider-Man Far From Home, and I said I would give you guys a week to go see the film so I could then talk about the movie with spoilers. And what I really want to focus on are the end credit scenes, because there are two that, you know, are very interesting, and I want to just kind of talk them through. So, Mysterio's defeated. Um, Peter Parker uh, basically lets him die uh, gets control of the Edith system and all seems well. And so he and everybody else goes back to New York and um, Pete is like flying through uh, New York holding MJ and they're like doing the swing thing and, and then the news pops on. And it is a video message from Mysterio uh, framing Spider-Man uh, for being the cause of the drones. And it's very well done. And it's pretty convincing that he's like, Spider-Man has control of the drones. And he's going to kill everybody. And it cuts in like Peter basically goes, execute them all. And then you hear gunshots and stuff like that. And it's revealed that this uh, video came uh, public through the dailybugle.com. And it cuts to motherfucking J.K. Simmons reprising his role as J. Jonah Jameson. From the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, he's back as J. Jonah Jameson. Like, eh, all right, all right. Yes, he's the perfect person for the job. He absolutely fucking nailed his performance the first time, so it makes total sense to bring him back for this. But is it the same? It's got like, what does this mean for the canon? I have no idea. I think it's just a fucking tongue-in-cheek, hey, look, here's J. Jonah Jameson back, like, J.K. Simmons is back. Like, it could just be that. And that's probably all it is. But, fuck, my gears started a twirling and a whirling, and I'm like, can't be the same, exact same one, because that's not how any of that works. But, it's J. Jonah Jameson, it's J.K. Simmons. He came back, I fucking, like, fist-pumped it in my chair, and I was like, fuck yeah, he's back, I love it. God, it was so cool. But the video ends with Mysterio revealing to the world that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And that's where it just cuts off right there. Spider-Man is Peter Parker and then posts a picture of Peter Parker like on the thing. Now everybody knows Spider-Man is Peter Parker. And that Spider-Man is out to kill you. So that's pretty much what the third movie is going to be about. 
kind of cut and cut and dry. Like Peter's got to clear his name, and now all of his villains know exactly who he is and what he's all about. And I think that's a really gutsy move to do, like right at the dawn of Spider-Man really becoming Spider-Man, you know. But the the way I've been thinking about it is. The whole movie is about Spider-Man becoming the next Iron Man. Like, taking the mantle of being, like, the lead Avenger. You know, that kind of shit. And everybody knew Tony Stark was Iron Man. Like, day one, right? That was the end of the first movie. He admitted that he was Iron Man. Everybody knew. The entire planet knew that Tony Stark was Iron Man. And now everybody knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. But they also think that Spider-Man is evil and out to kill them. So, it it's a twist. It's a fun twist. To be fair, Iron Man definitely went through some shit of like, you know, you shouldn't have this power, right? That's what Iron Man 2 was all about. So, I don't really know where they're going with this, but I'm very excited to see it. The second um, closing credit scene was revealed that Nick Fury and Marie Hill throughout this entire film were actually Skrull. The exact same scroll pair from Captain Marvel, like the main scroll dude, was Nick Fury. And he tries to call Nick Fury, who is on a tropical island, air quotes, which actually turns out to be a hologram. And Nick Fury is on the scroll ship orbiting the planet. And it's, you know, comical. It's like, where are my shoes? And then it cuts to black. But I'm sitting here going like, okay. So clearly... The Skrull's presence on Earth, or around Earth, I suppose, is a much bigger puzzle piece of where they're going than I originally anticipated. I thought the Skrull were going to be kind of throwaway, you know? Because, like, Captain Marvel flipped the script on the Skrull, and instead of them being the, the sneaky, um, infiltrate invasion race that they were in the original comic books now they're like a refugee on their last legs type people who would be considered to be like good people on like the good side of the world but i don't see where that story can go i see the scroll currently as being like the best source of information and technology that nick has at his disposal because he got snapped and he's five years behind. Perhaps he's trying to get something going again. It's very unclear. But it is a very intriguing um, element that I wasn't anticipating. So I'm very interested to see where that goes. And now you can see why I didn't want to talk about this last week. Because this is some heavy fucking shit. And it is very intriguing. But we can take away a couple of things from this. Number one... There is, of course, a third Spider-Man movie on the way. How could there not be? They've teased us so perfectly for the third one. There's going to be a fucking third Spider-Man movie. So we can add that to the roster of movies that we absolutely know are happening. Like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, the Black Widow movie, the Eternals movie, and now Spider-Man 3. Those are, those are the big ones. Black Panther 2? Probably hell yeah. Doctor Strange 2? Probably hell yeah. Um, a Thor Ragnarok 2 has been bounced around a couple of times. I don't really know how that's going to work out. But it's in, it's in the cards. It's a possibility. So, 
those are kind of like the for surezies ones. The ones that were all kind of like, yep, that's pretty much going to happen. Captain Marvel 2, more than likely, um, we're going to get one of those. Captain Marvel's a tricky character, though. She's basically a god. How do you make that... Um, how do you put Captain Marvel in danger, you know? She went fucking toe-to-toe with Thanos. It took an Infinity Stone to knock her off her block. A fucking Infinity Stone. That was, that was the only thing Thanos had that was strong enough in order to fucking take care of her, but... I guess we'll just have to wait and see where the MCU goes. And you know, I thought I was going to be like a lot of my friends, where it's kind of like, um, Endgame happened, and we're like, oh, good, ten years of movies, I have closure, I can move on with my life. But now I'm sitting here going like, alright, Marvel... You've put down your first card, and I'm intrigued. Let's see where this goes. Let's see what you got. See if you can still crank out some winners. Far From Home was an excellent film, so yeah, I think they can. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. It's another week, which means we got another fantastic batch of Harry Potter chapters. We got chapter 10, Creature's Tale. Chapter 11, The Bribe, and Chapter 12, Magic is Might. And right around Chapter 10 is really when I start to lose it. And, like, it's... Really, yeah, Chapter 10 is where it all starts to fall apart. Um, I've said it before, but I never once in a million years when I started this project thought that a side effect of my readings of these books would be I would inevitably come to hate these books. Uh, but boy, did I figure that out with chapter 10. Let's take a listen. Harry's extremities seemed to have gone numb. He stood there still, holding the miraculous paper in his nerveless fingers, while inside him was a kind of quiet eruption of joy and grief. Thundering down in equal measure through his veins, lurching to the bed, he sat down. None of this fucking matters! He read the letter again, but could not take in any more meaning than he had done the first time he was reduced to staring at the handwriting itself. She had made her G's the same way he did. He searched through the letter for every one of them. Felt like a little friendly wave glimpsed from behind a veil. None of this fucking matters. The letter was an incredible treasure. Proof that Lily Potter had lived. Really? You needed the letter to give you proof that Lily Potter lived. She's your fucking mom, you dipshit. You wouldn't fucking be here if she didn't live. Look, it's proof. My mom was alive. Holy shit. What a miraculous discovery. That her warm hand had once moved across this parchment, tracing ink into letters. Those words. Words about him. Harry, her son. Can I just skip this? Can I just, can I just fucking skip? Dude, I can summarize the rest of this fucking book in like two minutes and then we could all move on with our lives. Doesn't that sound nice? It's like, all right, so they find and destroy the Horcruxes and then Harry shoots Voldemort in the face with his wand and he's declared a hero. Lots of people die. Thanks for listening to Harry Potter, everybody. That's the end of the book. It's fucking so much wasted time. I'm wasting my time reading it. You're wasting your time listening to it. It's fucking, it's, uh, three brand new Harry Potter chapters land every Wednesday, roughly around, you know, eight o'clock ish at night. Um, they're going to go up sooner this week though, because I've got a concert to go to on Wednesday night. So I don't want to be able to do it afterwards. I'll have to do it before. So take a look at like five o'clock should be up. Um, roughly around then. Nope. Sorry. Strike that more like six o'clock, six o'clock. They'll be up, uh, tomorrow for your listening pleasure. And I hope you I hope you enjoy them. But in the meantime, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. K 
his wasn't immediately obvious what with the song of the week playlist existing on this platform, I'm a big fan of Spotify. This isn't a paid promotion. Fucking wish it was, but it isn't. Uh, basically, I wanted to talk about a new feature that Spotify has added that I've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of, and that is the Daily Drive, a roughly two-hour-long playlist compiled of uh, music that you would enjoy listening to based on your own listening habits, mixed with five to ten-minute news breaks from a couple of different news sources just kind of thrown in there. It's the It's the beauty of morning radio without any of the annoying advertisements. And it's a brilliant move. Um, I will say, now I don't like to profess uh, a political leaning on this show, uh, mostly because that's not what this show is about. But I will say that the the sources could be considered uh, left-leaning. Like, um, many of them are neutral, but there's this modern-day perception where even the neutral parties seem to be on the left because they tell things as it as they are, and people can get a little upset about that. So I'm just letting you know um, some of the sources. Uh, for example, if I were to bring up my daily drive right this very second, I could tell you that some of the sources include the Wall Street Journal, uh, the New York Times, NPR, and there is a, there's a podcast that's always thrown in uh, to these drives called the Daily, which I'm not a big fan of. Um, I wish I could remove that from the uh, from the from the uh, the list because it's it's usually fairly long and I just don't enjoy their style of air quotes news. Um, I listened to one for uh, about 30 minutes um, one day because I was just like, oh, this seems mildly interesting and. What bothered me about it was uh, it would it's it's uh, air quotes reporter talking to an air quotes reporter, and they'll be like, "So what did uh what did Captain Johnson have to say about this?" And then it'll play the clip of Captain Johnson, and Captain Johnson goes, "Well, these are my thoughts about this. I really been," and then it'll fade out, and the second reporter will come in and paraphrase what Captain Johnson was saying, and I'm like, "You have the audio of what he said." I don't need you to tell me what he said. To let him tell him what he said. Like, don't fucking do that. Why play the audio at all if you're just gonna fucking paraphrase it? Take his shit out of context. It's not news anymore. It's, I don't know what you're doing, but it isn't news. It's like fluff shit. So I don't like that. I skip that every time. But the Empire news break is usually just like, there was an earthquake in Los Angeles. It was this strong. It happened here. And these are the counties affected. Stuff like that. Um, and I enjoy that or, uh, how the, the wall street journal tells me about stock stuff and how we had like record highs this last week where it, it crossed over to 27,000, which it's never done before the NASDAQ, um, which is very cool. So I, I enjoy listening to this because before this, I, I don't really pay attention to the goings on of the world. You know, like I'll see a couple of things on Twitter, um, or whatever pops up on Reddit, but by and large, I don't watch like local news. I don't partake in that aspect of media because nine times out of 10, it's a story that's going to bum me the fuck out. And that's not what I'm about. So I just ignore it. And you know, there's, there's truth in the statement that ignorance is bliss. I've, I've been blissfully unaware of the happenings of the grander world for quite some time. And I, I feel like it, it makes me a happier person. You know, it's probably not the greatest thing, but you know, it works for me. 
So if you want just a little snifter of what's going on in the world mixed in with music that you will listen to because it's based on what you listen to, uh, check out the Daily Drive on Spotify. But I will point out that it does not work if you don't pay for it. I found that out. Somebody uh, tried to see if they had access to it on a free Spotify account and that does not seem to be the case. So keep that in mind. You don't get it for free, which is a bit of a bummer, but I've never regretted paying for Spotify and I doubt that'll happen anytime soon. Just the sheer plethora of music available to me is pretty incredible. The only band of note that I enjoy that is not on Spotify is Garth Brooks. So, you know what? I can just listen to him on YouTube or something like that. But I just want to talk about it because I thought it was pretty cool. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Later this week, a movie is going to come out. A remake of my all-time favorite film, The Lion King. The Lion King is my all-time favorite film. According to my baby book, it was the first film I ever saw in theaters. It came out, I think, a couple of months after I was born. So I was very young. As people have told me recently, that doesn't count. But it maintains my favorite film. I believe the score is phenomenal. I understand that the movie's just Hamlet. And don't get me wrong... The movie's got problems. For sure, for sure it's got problems. I think uh, I think Simba's an insufferable twat, <laughs> for example, uh, in, in that later half, when he's just like, you don't know how I feel. And then Nala's like, I would if you just tell me, but I won't, fine. And they get like a little pissy at, him, at each other. Um, but it's still, it's still one of my favorites. It's got scenes that are just seared into my brain. It has one of the strongest opening intros of any fucking movie ever. The soundtrack is phenomenal. The animation is gorgeous. I fucking, I fucking love it. I loved the uh, the musical I saw on Broadway. I've seen it twice. It's god tier. I love the direct to DVD sequel, The Lion King to Simba's Pride. Um, that's just Romeo and Juliet, but one I fucking I love it. I love it. I love it so much. It's so good. Even Lion King One and a Half has some good shit going on over there. It's the worst of the three, but you know what? I enjoy it. And so when they were gonna make. A remake, and when they made the remake of Lion King, I probably originally was like, no, why would they do that? This is terrible. Then I came to the opinion of, just because they remake the thing doesn't mean it's going to retroactively make the first one worse. And now I'm kind of like, I've seen I've seen the, the hyper-realistic images. I'm probably going to talk about the movie um, in you know, a podcast to come more specifically. But what I want to focus on this week is... My my blind hope that it is good, based on my experience with the soundtrack, which has dropped, and I have listened to all the way through. So, given that I am a super duper big Lion King fan, I want to drop some fucking knowledge on y'all about this soundtrack, and talk a little bit about why I think it's very fucking cool. Number one, they brought back Hans Zimmer to do the score. I believe he won an Academy Award for his performance in the first Lion King movie. Um, they also brought back Lebo M. Now there's a there's uh there's there's a lot of not nice backstory involving Hans and Lebo M. Um, basically, uh, Lebo M was not really given the credit he was due for the original score. Um, particularly when they won the Academy Award. Um, I believe he was not invited to the to the award ceremony. Um, to be a part of that, and there was a lot of bitter feelings there. So it does warm my heart that he came back uh, to do 
some original versions of some of the classic Lion King songs. There's an album called The Lion King Rhythm of the Pride Lands, which is very fucking difficult to find nowadays. It's not on Spotify. I don't know where you can find it. You might be able to buy it um, off Amazon. But on that album, there are several songs that um, were original to that album that were written by Lebo M. And later, these songs became the basis of songs in the musical, in the second Lion King movie, and in the credits of the new Lion King. There are two songs at the end of the album, songs 18 and 19. He Lives in You, which was written by Lebo M. Um, and it's, it's L-E-B-O space the letter M. It's not Lebo M. It's Lebo M. Um, that's the intro song to the second Lion King movie, and that's a phenomenal song too. It's translated into Swahili for the new Lion King soundtrack, which I think is great. And then um, the the 19th song is also a, a redone version of a song found on the Rhythms of the Pride Land album. Um, but on that album, there are tracks like Le Hanale, I believe it's what it's called, which uh, became Shadowland in the uh, live performance, uh, the, the, the musical. There's, there's a lot of crossover. Um, there are, there are two, uh, straight up original songs, uh, on this, on this album, uh, Beyonce's Spirit and then, uh, Never Too Late by Elton John, brand new Elton John song written for this, uh, Lion King movie, which is very cool. Um, the score is phenomenal. I've, I, I've heard it a bunch of times. It's as beautiful as it ever was. Um, it evokes the right emotions that the original did. Um, I, I like the only thing that, that kind of catches me off. It's like, I know it's like, they're basically covers of what it originally was. And while it's beautiful in its own way, it doesn't quite hit me the way the original did. So I think the statement I'm going to use with the Lion King, like the whole package of this new movie is going to be, it's good. It's just not as good. And the only reason it's not as good is because my nostalgia blinders for the original Lion King movie are impenetrable. So I just want that to be stated right away. So let's hit the soundtrack down song by song. Circle of Life right out the gates. That's that's like the big one, right? That intro is so iconic that how how could they make it better? And the answer is is they didn't. <laughs> they used the exact same intro from the first song and then they brought in a different vocalist for the rest of the song, which I think is a really smart way to do it because it's so iconic that opening shot. You didn't want to fuck with it. So you don't fuck with that, but you can change the rest of it, which is what they did. So I'm a big fan of that. I Just Can't Wait to Be King um, is a very good version. Um, this movie did uh, something that most movies like this tend to do. When it is not like a big role, they don't cast star power. They cast talent. So the, the kids they got to sing for Young Simba and Young Nala fucking kill it. They're incredible vocalists, and I love it. They do an excellent job. John Oliver has the um, has the it's I don't know how you would call it talk singing, um, where they can say the words in rhythm to the song, but there's not a lot of musicality there. Um, most likely be due to the fact that he's not a particularly strong vocalist, if I had to guess. Uh, but you know what? That's totally fine. Um, what it's it's difficult to really judge a movie like this without comparing it to the original. And, I mean, John Oliver's going against Rowan Atkinson, who is a fucking treasure. And um, he actually had some musicality to his voice. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's apples apples and apples is basically what we're doing here. Uh, and there's that. Now, the version of Be Prepared done by um, 
Oh yeah, I can't I can't uh, pronounce his name. He was he was the bad guy in um, Doctor Strange. Uh, not not no like he was um he's he's uh, Mordo, uh who will be the bad guy in the next anyway, he's a phenomenal actor. I I don't know how to pronounce his first name, but he's a phenomenal actor, and his version of Be Prepared is much shorter, and the words are basically completely different. It might not even be it's it might as well not even be the same song, but there's a lot of raw um emotion that he brings to the song, and I was very surprised by that. Now, the other big surprise, for me at least, was uh, the fact that Billy Eichner can sing. Didn't see that coming. Didn't see that coming. He's Timon. Um, I predict that Timon and Pumbaa are phenomenal. Based on their uh, their chemistry in the soundtrack alone, I bet their on-screen presence is simply superb. Um, Seth Rogen also cannot, cannot sing. Um, or strike that. Can't sing particularly well. Everyone can sing. I want, I want to state that for the record. We can all sing, but whether or not it's decent to listen to, you know, it's kind of here and there. But um, I was a big fan of their Hakuna Matata. Um, I liked how they flipped the script on some shit <laughs> uh, that the original did. Good, um, uh, what's, what's the term? Subverting expectation, I think is, is, the, uh, is the term there. Um, I love their version of Lion King Sleeps Tonight. And then we get to Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Now, this is, Beyonce only sings in this song, and spirit, which makes sense. Um, but she she very much brings it. Um, I think one of the things I love about it is that when I hear her, her like solo bit in Can You Feel the Love Tonight? And I think back to the original, it's almost the exact same. Like the, the, the way they sing those lines, the quality of their voice, it's so, it evokes that original, that original sound. Um, Donald Glover uh, does a decent job. Um, again, not the strongest vocalist I've ever heard, but definitely not the weakest in the album. It is it is a good version of the song. Beyonce goes a little get goes some places lyrically, not lyrically, um, vocally uh, in the song. There's a lot of them. Like uh, it'll be like tonight, you know, it'll have like this vocal fluttering, um, which I guess is a trademark of her particular styles, which again is fine. I'm not you know. It's not bad. It's just different. So I just want to. I just want to say that uh, for now. And that's pretty much the the soundtrack is strong. It's solid. Um, there's it's certainly worthy of being listened to on its own, just like the original was. They don't seem to have added like uh, the morning report, which was a song that was added for the musical that was then retroactively added to the original animated version of The Lion King. Um, which is a good song, but that does not appear to be in this movie. Um, there's no sign of I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, which was really added as a gag in the first film, just like It's a Small World, um, which doesn't make sense in The Lion King that Zazu would have known that song, but we're, you know, he shouldn't have known I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts either. Um, but we're just going to blow right past that. And I mean, at this point, all that remains is to see it, you know? And the soundtrack is as such that I am, at minimum, going to see this in IMAX because I need the surround sound to fully appreciate the fucking music. But I will be honest with y'all. The scene that has me terrified is the stampede. Because we're talking about hyper-realistic animals. And I'm I'm concerned as to what that's going to look like. Are, are we all, as a country, going to watch basically a, a real lion get fucking trampled to death? 
because that sounds truly terrible um and heart-wrenching and fuck the animated one is bad enough right um i'm also a little concerned about um james earl jones i mean i get it you had to bring him back it's fucking mufasa it's like the iconic voice but as as a very very low tier performer i can't even begin to imagine what it would be like if i replayed a role from my past like in what it's been 25 years and if in 25 years somebody came out to me and was like hey can you redo the harry potter audiobooks i'd be like what the fuck no been there done that i did that it's it was great people loved it like that's i can point look at this thing creatively i did that thing and i'm and i'm good but i mean perhaps james earl jones is just like this role is so iconic that I can't wait to do it again. Or I don't know what his thought process was. Um, I mean, you know, if somebody offered me a big fat check to redo the Harry Potter books, it'd be a lot harder to say no. You know, so who who can say? Um, I will say I'm not going to give him crap for it because that that annoys me as well. People be like, oh my God, this person sold out. Me, 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 me. And, at the, and then I flip this and I'm like, you can't look. If somebody offered you the chance to be the spokesperson for Kraft Macaroni and Cheese for $100 million, you'd fucking do it. So it's just like, you know, who cares if they sold out? You would, we all would. It's money. We want money. They say money isn't everything, but it is the most something one thing can be. If, if everything's about something, it's fucking about money. So there you go. Um, but... Bringing it back to my original point. I believe the soundtrack is excellent. Hans Zimmer does some incredible stuff here. I love the sound of it. I love the feel of it. But I am incredibly biased that The Lion King is my all-time favorite movie. Um, in case you're wondering, other other movies on that list. I really only have like the top two spots confirmed. And that is uh, The Lion King and Muppet Treasure Island are my, are my top two. Um, I know, weird choices. There's a lot of movies I enjoy. Like, I fucking love the Lord of the Rings movies. But basically, after the top two, I don't... I don't really... It doesn't... What's my seventh favorite movie of all time? I don't fucking... I don't care. I don't care. Um, I just know that these are my my top twos because that's what I've always said are my top twos. And The Lion King being my all-time favorite. Rain or Shine. Sleet or Snow. Broken Ankle. or Sick with the Flu. I'm always down to watch this movie. And that is my definition of your favorite thing. It's it's a it's a song, it's a band, it's a movie, it's a book that no matter what's going on in your world and whatever mood you're in, you are always down to experience that piece of media. No matter what. That to me is my favorite. Great Big C is my favorite band because if I'm happy, sad, angry, upset, whatever, I still want to listen to Great Big C. They are always something I'm willing to listen to. So that's, that's my definition. But let me know if you're going to go see The Lion King. Um, or if not, I pose this question to you because I think it's very entertaining. If you had to remake a Disney movie, it can already have been done. That's totally fine. But if you had to remake a Disney movie and you had to put Snoop Dogg in that movie somewhere, what movie do you remake and where do you put Snoop Dogg? Email your answers at gormcast.gmail.com. And uh, hopefully we can discuss those in an upcoming episode. 
case you're all wondering, I would have him be fucking Jiminy Cricket and Pinocchio. Because I think that'd be really awesome. He'd be incredible in anything, but it's a fun, it's a fun question to ask. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing on the podcast. This week for Songs of the Week, I've got two songs that I want to talk about. They are both incredible singer-songwriter compositions, um, one of which is one of the most covered songs of all time, and the other one, which is a recent listening experience for me. So let's talk about the recent listening experience, uh, which comes to us off of Springsteen's first album, Greetings from Ashbury Park, New Jersey. It's called Growing Up. It's the second track on the on the album. It really encapsulates Springsteen's sound, his way with words, and it has that that feel of relatability that I think makes Springsteen so strong. Um, a lot of Springsteen stuff, he sings for like the blue collar worker, you know, talks about cars and uh, long nights in the summer and times when you're young and stuff like that. And all of those themes are showcased very well in this song. Um, I love the the instrumentation. I love the feel of it. Dylan-esque Springsteen is. He has this this way with words, which is fucking incredible. There was a line where he, uh, like one of the producers says that Springsteen can use more words in a single song than most artists use in an album. And I'm just like, I love it. It's it's so fucking good and fun to listen to. That first album, um, uh, Greetings from Ashbury Park, is excellent. So that's a really good album. Born to Run is really good. That's as far as I've gotten in his um his like back catalog. I know the River is a good album. Born in the USA, it's a classic album. And I guess yeah, like his brand new one, um, Western Stars, is also very good. But honestly, the first album compared to the latest album, like there's the the lyrics are way stronger in that first album. So if you want really good Springsteen stuff, just pop in that first album. It's really strong. The second song I want to talk about was originally written by Leonard Cohen called Hallelujah. It is. Not exactly a happy song, but it is an incredible song. So I did do a little cover of it. I took from inspiration of my favorite version of this song, which is performed by Jeff Buckley, the late, great Jeff Buckley, who was taken far, far too soon. Uh, So let's listen to my cover of Hallelujah, as performed by Jeff Buckley, originally written by Leonard Cohen. Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty and the moonlight had overthrew you. She tied you to her kitchen chair. She broke your throne and she cut your hair. And from your lips she drew the just it's one of those songs that i wanted to cover i know it's not exactly a happy song but it's an important song so i wanted to i wanted to bring attention to it if you haven't heard that song uh you really really should there's a lot of great covers of it um ironically probably my least favorite version of that song is the original but it's still not a bad version um rufus uh wainwright did an excellent cover for the movie shrek uh the jeff buckley version is fantastic and then naturally my cover is um is simply superb. So if you have a song that you would like to suggest for Song of the Week, hit me up at goncast.gmail.com or use the contact page at goncast.com and we can talk about some music. Well, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. We 
update on Neon Genesis Evangelion. I am a couple of more episodes in to the show now. I think I'm on episode seven or eight. Um, a, a new pilot is about to show up, and um, I've heard stories about this particular character, so I'm uh, I'm going in with some expectations in mind. Uh, show's still very good. I I am enjoying it. There was this bit in one of the episodes, like um, uh, Shinji's about to leave um, and like just run away, basically. And uh, he decides to not get on the train. And um, he and... Whatever the fuck her name is with the blue hair, I can't remember. Um, are just, like, staring at each other. And I swear that shot goes on for, like, a minute. And I'm like, this probably could have been shortened. Like, it's just a static shot. Like, neither of them move. And um, I'm not sure what that was all about. It almost seemed like padding or filler or something like that. But uh, it, it, it struck me as odd. Um, it's, it's also this weird, like, I'm interested in what the, what the battles with like the angels and all that stuff is going on. And I'm interested in some other, like the show seems very surface level in the beginning. Like it doesn't take, it doesn't, it didn't really set things up, you know, like there's the, there's the blonde doctor who I believe we got a name and we we learn about these characters through experiences you know there's very little in the way of exposition in this show like you know shinji is the son of what's his face because of some like brief mentions and stuff like that but there weren't any shots of like him being like a happy father and stuff like that um you know like shinji goes to school and these are his friends but it just kind of happens through experiences. Like, if you showed me images of these people, I can tell you who any of these fucking people's names are. I just don't know. And it's it's interesting, because I just, you know, I'm watching fucking shows where it's, like, spelled out to you constantly. Like, one of my favorite shows right now starts every fucking episode with, My name is Barry Allen. And it's just like, oh, in case you forgot who this fucking guy is, every episode, it's right there in the title. My name is Barry Allen, I'm the fastest man alive. It's just, it tells you. Like, this, like, modern TV shows fucking explain shit, you know? This is who this person is. This is what they do. This is how they know this person. This is how they relate to the story. It's all spelled out for you. Game of Thrones did it, like, a little bit in the beginning. You definitely got, like, here's the king. Here's the queen. This is this person. This is why they're important. Blah, 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 blah. But you also learned about them through experience and stuff like that. Neon Genesis is completely just, like, Here's the story that's happening. Figure out who these people are as the story's being told before you. And I'm just kind of like, right. Um, but because I don't know these characters particularly well, because there's not a whole lot of in-depth look at, like, what they mean to the story. Like, I know Shinji's going through a rough-ass fucking time. Because most of what I know about Shinji is the trauma of what he's going through. Which is plentiful. And there's a fucking ton of it. So I understand that. Right, but I don't like what like I don't know that much else about the character, but perhaps you don't need to know that much about the character. You know, not every story is gonna go A B C beginning, middle, and end and tell you everything you need to know about the character and what their favorite color is and what they stand for and how they relate to this and that and the other thing. Not every story needs that. Sometimes the story is just like you know humanity versus the angels simply trying to survive. I don't know. Perhaps I'll get more details as a journey onward, but. It is, I wouldn't say it's tough to get invested in a story where you don't connect with the characters. Uh, it helps. Certainly, it helps to be able to, to um, uh, 
empathize and relate to a character that you see on screen. It helps, you know, make the story a bit more compelling. And if your viewers can see from their point of views, then, hey, you're in business. But this type of show, I, it's just... There are situations in the show that I don't think anybody can really connect to. I mean, I've never fought in a giant robot mech suit. Um, I understand that plenty of people connect with trauma just as a general concept. Um, so perhaps there's there's some form of uh, relatable kinship going on there. But I'm not in that camp. So while I am enjoying the show, it doesn't really... It doesn't quite hold me as strongly as I feel some other shows would but perhaps the show also knows it only lasted the season so it didn't waste its time in getting too deep in with the characters i'm not sure perhaps it's difficult to judge a piece of media like this without having experienced the whole it's just a lot of pontificating at this point but i am enjoying it very much and hot on the heels of netflix dropping some truly strange shows to its fucking service including a glass blowing competition show no idea what, that the fu what the fuck's that about. Um, I'm sure it's fine. But there's... Pff, I could be watching shows for the next six years straight. And that's probably not very high on my list of things to turn on. Um, just... I don't, know who, I don't know who that's for. To be honest, that's kind of... I was like looking at that and be like, who... Who is clamoring for a glass blowing show? Glass blowers, probably, but... Sure, that's one of those things you'd rather do yourself, you know? I don't know. But, um, oh, also the Great British Baking Show started up again, so I'm gonna go fucking watch that. Uh, but let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. That sounds good? Yeah, let's do that. Finally, this week, I want to talk about something that I think we've all had experience with, and that is the company known as Amazon. So I, long story short, my, my current phone, which was an LG G4, the headphone jack decided to basically stop functioning properly, um, which was kind of like the last straw because I really need my phone to play music and I need that to work every fucking time. So I decided to get myself a new phone. Um, this week, the 15th and the 16th was Prime Day, which is Amazon's air quotes holiday. Uh, where you can just buy a bunch of stuff for less money than you normally do, which is fine. Um, so I got myself a new phone the day before Prime Day, and it turned out that this phone was going to be $100 less if I waited an extra day. Oh, well. But I got myself the brand new uh, Samsung Galaxy S10. It was not inexpensive. Um, but what I really want to focus on is the fact that most of the time when you buy things from Amazon, it comes with far too much packaging a lot of brown paper the box is too large things like that the one time i expected there to be any form of protective packaging whatsoever when i buy something from amazon is the one time i spent almost a thousand dollars on a phone and new phone bits it showed up with nothing inside this box not a single piece of protective paper or bubble shit nothing absolutely not it was a box with a phone in it and it was just rattling around in there. It's fucking duper-doo. Who cares, you know? Didn't like, it wasn't like you just spent a bunch of money. So that really got... That got my goat. I got my goat real good. The phone's fine. Not a scratch on it. So everything turned out okay. But the one time I want you to overpackage is the one time you don't package at all. And I was just like, really? Well then. Well then. 
I don't. Uh, it's fine. It's whatever. I got all the all the pictures and um, um, pictures and what else did I? I think just mostly pictures and video I pulled off of my old phone. Um, I've got a list of the apps on my current phone. Um, but I don't need to get music off of it because all the music is saved to the SD card, which I'm just going to pop into the new phone. And then I'm going to transfer all over my contacts and stuff. Once the phone is fully charged, it's currently sitting pretty at uh, 94%. Haven't even turned on the damn thing yet, so I don't I don't know really what it's like. But I'm very excited. It's definitely heftier than my current phone. It looks it looks great. I'm very, I'm very excited about it. I just haven't officially turned it on yet, so I can't give you a review of the Samsung Galaxy S10. But uh, I can't say that the headphone jack in the LG G4 from several years ago is not the strongest. So, you know, be aware of that. And thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Going Up cast. I hope you had fun listening to it. Um, this, the next chapter, uh, chapter, the next episode of the Going Up cast will be next Tuesday, in between which I will have gone to a concert and hopefully finally fallen out of an airplane. So get excited for that. I know I'm really excited to finally jump. Um, Things are good in my world. I hope things are good in yours. And I will see you next week. Have a good one, everyone.